Good evening, everybody. I want to welcome everybody to our mission here at the beautiful Basilica of St. Stephen's. Before we begin our reflections tonight, why don't we go ahead and start with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Father, as we continue this Lenten journey, we ask you to pour your spirit upon us, me as the mission speaker and everyone present here. We may know your word, to know your will, and to enter more deeply into the gift of the Mass and the Eucharist inspire us to live holy lives as we prepare to celebrate passion, death, and resurrection of your Son. We ask this as we ask all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's good to see uh, y'all here. For, for those who weren't here this weekend, unable to listen to my introduction, my name is Father Bryce Sibley. I am a priest of the Diocese of Lafayette. I've been ordained about 23 years now as a classmate of Monsignor Nolte, ordained a year under him. And it's been a blessing to maintain a friendship with him over the course of these years. Um, I actually did a mission here back in 2011, and so it's good to be back here a few years later. Uh, I've served a number of different places. My longest stint was between 2010 and 2021 as the chaplain over at UL in Lafayette. And since then, uh, 2021, I have been teaching moral theology and doing spiritual direction over at Notre Dame Seminary just a few miles from here. So it's pretty easy for me to make my way down here each night to be able to do this Lenten mission. And so I was asked, basically, to focus on the course of the mission, of the theme, basically, of the Holy Mass, trying to help people, those who come to the mission, better understand the meaning, the significance, the beauty of the liturgy. And, and I, I'm guessing the reason was, and Philip could tell me here, is because we hear so much in the news about the, the crisis of Eucharistic faith, that so many Catholics don't believe in Christ's true presence. I also think we could probably make some connection to the fact that, at least in the United States, only about 17 to 20 percent of Catholics actually attend Mass every Sunday on a regular basis. So I think not only do we have a crisis of Eucharistic faith, but we have a crisis of mass attendance. And so the the effort is hopefully to sort of promote a deeper understanding of the mass and the liturgy. So I, of course, never wanting to just do it the way everyone else does it, wanting to do my own thing, started praying and reflecting on it. You know, I've been a priest for long enough, pastor for nearly 20 years. The fact that people do not like to go to Sunday Mass is no surprise to me. And so I started just from my own experience, not necessarily from studies or anything, sort of wondering, what's the problem? Why is it that people don't take their obligation to come worship on Sunday seriously? 
And so in my time and talking to people and speaking to them, there's one reason that continuously comes up. Again, I haven't done an official poll or sort of sociological study, but in my experience, the number one reason that people do not come to Sunday Mass is they say they're too busy. Oh, Father, I'm too busy. I got too much going on to be able to make it to Sunday Mass. I don't have time. I'm taking the kids to sports, or I have to work, or I have all these other things during the week that I have to catch up on chores, I don't have time for Mass. And so that's sort of reflecting on it when it hit me. The problem that we have, or at least in my estimation, is not so much a lack of understanding or appreciation of the importance of the Mass and the Eucharist, although I'm sure that that is part and parcel of the problem. But instead, the real problem is a lack of understanding and appreciation of the meaning of Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. And if we're going to address the problem of Mass attendance, we've got to be able to see it within that larger context of the Sabbath and our understanding of what Sunday should be as the Lord's Day. And so it led me to kind of go in a different direction, hopefully one that people will find enlightening, is focusing more on this as the diagnosis. The lack of Sunday Mass attendance or the lack of really devotion to the Eucharist on Sunday is a symptom of a much larger Sabbath sickness. A much larger Sabbath sickness. And so that's what I, I want to look at today and to a degree over the course of the next three days, even though we're going to look at it from different perspectives. And the topic actually sort of coincides with my own Lenten practice, which comes as a result of uh, my prayer and reading and reflection over the past few months, reading a lot about paying attention and the attention economy and how distracted we as a culture tend to be. And so in talking about this, I'm letting you know I am preaching to myself today. I am the most hyper ADD person you will probably ever meet. And also, I'm guilty of it, I'm really, really guilty of it, and it's something we see in our culture. We have a hard time paying attention, we have a hard time doing any of these things because we're always in a hurry, running from one thing to the next. We don't know how to rest. That's what I talked about this weekend, that need to rest in the Lord's presence, to really understand the meaning of the Sabbath. And so this is where I sort of want to begin today before we launch into a a deeper theological reflection. I'm going to give you the very fact, and, and hopefully we're going to see some heads nodding. I know it's a little late tonight, maybe we're kind of tired. But as a culture, and as Catholics within this culture, we simply don't know how to rest, how to have leisure, how to chill, how to sit back and do nothing. 
We are a restless people, myself included. Everything has got to be really, really fast. We go at a frenetic pace. We don't like any pause or delay. And we hoped that, at least in the 20th century, the mid-20th century, there was a great hope that, well, we would have all these advances in technology and that we'd be able to slow down. We'd be able to have a lot more time for ourselves. There was even a prediction that because of the rise of technology, we'd have a 20-hour work week. That obviously did not happen. The opposite happened. As our technology advanced, as our domination and control over our bodies and creation, things began to go faster. I remember I went to Rome in 1996, then right before I went, I got an email account. Now, there were like two other people at the time who I knew had email accounts, but I was so excited. You all remember that whenever you wake up in the morning and you just couldn't wait to get an email. And now you dread every time you check your email. There could be 5,000 emails there. It's a burden. It makes it so much more difficult. I remember back uh, in the early 2000s when I got a cell phone and text messaging came out. And I thought, I'm never going to use this. I'm just going to call people. And now we get 500 text messages a day. We forget to respond to people. There's an inundation. We're so distracted. And of course, I think our, our phones and our social media and all of those things lead to that. We're not going to deny it. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We can't rest. We're running around too fast. Why is it? Why is it that it's difficult for us to really just slow down? And I'm going to offer five reasons that I think or, or sort of encapsulate most of it. Some of it's very realistic and practical. Some of it is maybe a bit more theoretical or philosophical. The first is this. As a culture, we are driven to efficiency, to productivity. Now, granted, we can look maybe deeper in some wounds that we have, that we feel that we have to be productive to earn love get our parents or our Heavenly Father's attention. I think really in America, it's connected probably more to a Protestant work ethic. We need to be hard workers in order to uh, produce and to receive the Lord's blessing. But the fact of the matter is, we live in an economy where time is money. And our time, as one author recently said, is monetized. The more efficient we are, the better we are, the more productive we are, then the more we'll make. And so as a result of this, we feel guilty and wasting time. I'm not being productive. I'm not being efficient. And so I'm not being a good Christian. I'm not being a good American. I am a lazy bum. That's the first issue I think we have. The second is sort of what I talked about or mentioned earlier, is we're too distracted. Our phones distract us. Our TVs distract us. The media constantly coming at us, grabbing our attention. We're all ADD. We all can't focus, and we've seen it. It's very difficult for people to read a whole book anymore, 
Uh, our attention span is like that of a fly or a mosquito. And so, you know, we, we, instead of actually getting to the root of why we're so ADD, we'll just take some more medicine. And so we're going to be more focused. I'm not trying to deny that ADD exists. Uh, I've been diagnosed with it. I'm not denying it. But the fact is, quite often, our distractedness can have a much deeper root. And one of the things that we don't consider enough is all of the advertising and media and text messages that we get are all driven in an attention economy. Every time you pick up your phone and you look at it, every time you watch Netflix, guess what? Someone's getting paid and it's not you. Whether or not you're looking at an advertisement or they are taking data, people are making money off of it. And so we're fighting against this big behemoth of uh, our advertising and our media capitalism. Third, and this is probably the most philosophical, is our relationship to time has changed. And one of the things I was reading in preparation for this sort of encourages us to think about how the advent of the clock changed us. Not only the clock, but the watch, where you constantly know exactly what time of it is. Before, for basically all of human history, unless you had a sundial, the only way you knew time was by being aware of the rhythm of the sun and the seasons, and to be able to tell what time it was during the day, what season it was, what month it was. Now it's all right here on your watch or on your phone. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but what happens is, and I'm really guilty of this, we can become slaves to our timepieces. We can become hyper-aware of the calendar. I don't know how I lived without Google Calendar. I love it. But now my day is divided up into all of these little parts, and I run from one thing to the next, and because it's right there in front of me, I tend to overschedule like scheduling two missions in two weeks and the priest asking me to do, do different topics, plus having to teach classes. Maybe it's because I didn't pay attention. But it gives us this illusion of control over time. And of course, I have control over time, so I'm going to make more time, but we realize there's never enough time. We could add four more hours to the day. It doesn't mean we're going to rest. It means we're going to fill it with things to do, constantly checking the clock, constantly worrying about things, particularly whenever we're at mass. Oh, boy, let me tell you right that. All of a sudden, whoa, Father's homily went over 10 minutes. I don't think I can handle this. Number four, there's the speed of our culture. We live in a culture that continuously accelerates. We're always in a hurry. I'm reading this book right now by a Protestant pastor called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We're always rushing from one thing to another to complete this task, to get to this place. And so it's just like, it's the pace of life. We're so busy. If you ask people, how are you doing today? They're not going to tell you, you know, my heart is very full of joy. Or I'm enjoying spending time with my parents or my friends or my family. 
what are they going to tell you? Oh, I'm really busy. No, I didn't ask what you're like. Your life is like asked how you are. But that's our response. How many times do we tell people, I'm so busy? And so we're communicating, we're traveling. All of these things end up making our lives so much more hectic. And we always feel like we're in a hurry and we never have enough time. And so we're short with other people. We honk at the person who is on their cell phone in front of us and won't go in the red light. All these different things. I am super guilty of it. Super guilty of it. And then third, and fifth and finally, and probably this sort of like sums everything up, and this is going to go really, really deep. It's a term that I've thought about and read about over the course of the past several years. It describes our time. It's called liquid modernity by this Polish philosopher named Zygmunt Bauman. Basically, in times past, uh, institutions, realities, time were very solid. Everything was very solid and static. It lasted for a very, very long time. But now, not only have things sped up, but everything, because of the speed, is in flux. It's all very liquid. It's on a spectrum. Not only as it applies to our own understanding of sexuality in the minds of many people, but let me allow uh, Zygmunt Bauman to explain. He says, to be modern means to modernize compulsively, obsessively, not so much just to be, let alone to keep its identity intact, but forever becoming, avoiding completion, staying underdefined. Each new structure which replaces the previous one, as soon as it's declared old-fashioned and past, its use by date is only another momentary settlement, acknowledged as temporary and until further notice, being always at any stage and at all times post-something is also an undetachable feature of modernity. And so we're always phasing something out. Nothing ever stays. Oh, i got to get the new iPhone. What's the latest update to the software? What's the newest brand of clothes? It's always changing. It's always moving forward. And so we can never really set still. It affects us. We breathe it in. And the greatest example of this is the fact that we can't escape it even though we know it's not good for us. As I mentioned at some of the masses this weekend, is the greatest two weeks of my life. The COVID lockdown from three years ago. I remember, oh no, everybody's getting COVID. And of course, I didn't necessarily realize how bad it was, but when I realized that we're going to shut the university down and everything was going to close down, I secretly said, yes, can't wait. And, and I remember those two weeks, if you remember, the weather was perfect over here in Louisiana. Boy, I'd wake up in the morning, you'd go outside, there were no cars, so you could actually hear the birds. And I'd sit and I'd drink my coffee and I'd do my crossword puzzle and people would come, I'd pray, and then take a little nap in the afternoon, and then cocktail hour on the patio in the afternoon, and you just watch people go by on their bikes and everyone was talking, this is so wonderful. 
Why can't life be like this? And I remember people making promises. We're never going back to the busyness before. I'm having time for prayer. We kept our church open for people to come in. We, 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 we have time for family and friends. It's so wonderful. And then what happened as soon as lockdown was over? Oh no, let's haul behind again. And so now I think we're faster than it was before because we're judging how our fast our life is compared to what it was life like back then. In fact, now we work even more. Studies have shown that people who work at home actually do maybe 10 to 20% more work or hours a week than if they did when they just left work at the office. We can't stop. We can't rest. We are all Marthas, all of us. Remember Martha and Mary in scripture? But here's the thing to remember though. Martha's a saint. In fact, it was just St. Martha until Pope Francis a couple years ago said St. Martha and St. Mary. So it's not a sin to be busy. We have lots of things we need to take care of. If you have small children, you just can't say, I'm going to take a nap. If you run your own business, you can't just say, oh, I'm going on a three-week vacation. We, we need to work. Work is a good thing. I, as a priest, you know, I, I got to write my classes. I got to do my spiritual direction. But the problem is, is when all we have is Martha time and we don't have Mary time. Mary time to rest at the feet of Jesus, to be able to just adore, to pray, and to encounter him. And so this is where we want to sort of move on to the next point. And that is what we were talking about at the very beginning. If we can understand why we're so busy and that we need to have that merry time, that time of rest with Jesus, that time of Sabbath. Sabbath. The third commandment, to keep the Lord's day holy. Let's take some time, and probably a majority of the time today, to explore this idea of Sabbath. We all know Sunday's the Lord's day. It's one of the commandments. But how do we understand it? Where does it come from, and what does Sunday Mass have to do with it? Well, in the Hebrew, and I don't know Hebrew, so don't worry about that, the word is Shavat, which means to rest. Some commentators I've seen said it actually means to stop, to, to come to be at rest, to come and stop. We know the roots of it from the first creation story. Remember, there are two creation stories in Genesis. There are actually about four or five creation stories throughout the Bible. But we're just going to focus on the first one, the priestly source. Although, we do see other examples of this rest or Sabbath in other Mesopotamian cultures that were around the time of Israel. But here, God... Elohim is different than the other gods, and he creates the world not out of the blood of a dragon, but he creates it with order and reason. The sun and the moon are not gods. They're just creature, they're just, you know, created realities in the air, in the, in the heavens. But after he finished it in six days, what did he do? Let's look at the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. So it's the day that the Father rests, that God rested from creation, and he made it holy. It is a day set aside that belongs to the Lord, a day of rest, a day of prayer, a day of worship, of giving back to God what belongs to him. And so for the Jews, it actually was the sat- it was Saturday. It started sat- Friday afternoon or Friday evening at sundown, and it lasted a Saturday. And it became one of the Ten Commandments to keep the Lord's day holy, to recognize its value. And we see it come in the Ten Commandments, remember, after the Exodus, This is going to become important a little bit. The Exodus, where Moses leads Israel out of slavery into Egypt, and they go to Mount Sinai, where God, Yahweh, makes covenant with Israel. And that covenant is sealed with the law. And this law comes with all these precepts, but the most important ones are the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And it's the third one. If you're interested, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It's actually the longest commandment, if you want to know, but it commands us to keep it holy and rest, not just for your sake, but for everyone else's sake. You could be this rich landowner, and you have no problem resting, but you need to give your work, your maids, your farmhands rest. Even give you cows rest. And that the Sabbath extended in the Jewish law to even every seventh year. You'd let the land rest, you wouldn't harvest, and you would often release slaves and forgive debts. But notice how it's rooted in the creation story. Because God did it, we are going to keep it holy. What a lot of people don't know is that there are actually two times the commandments are listed. It's first time in Exodus, but later on in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is after they've been wandering in the desert, and people have forgotten about God. They've forgotten about the law. And so Moses has to remind them. So he reiterates the commandments, and for the most part, he gives the same exact thing. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, but it's verse 15 we're going to focus on. Almost everything is exactly the same. Instead of saying, remember the Sabbath, he says, observe the Sabbath. But he says, because of this, it's not so much anchored anymore in the creation story, but instead, the Exodus. You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 
So now it's not so much connected to the Genesis story, even though it's still there. It's somehow connected to the Exodus of being freed from slavery. And it was this connection that really sort of opened my mind a few weeks ago to the real meaning of the Sabbath. And we want to go back to the book of Exodus, towards the beginning. Moses is set up, he becomes God's prophet, and he knows that he, along with Aaron, they got to go talk to the Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's being a jerk. He's got Israel enslaved, building his storage cities, building all of his pyramids. And the Lord sends Moses and Aaron, you know the story, to let him go. But I'm going to read the story, but I want you to notice something about it. We normally think of the Exodus. Okay, well, we're crossing the Red Sea, they're escaping. This wasn't originally what was supposed to happen. This is God calling an audible because Pharaoh is being an idiot. So I'm going to read the whole passage just because it's such an awesome passage. And I did drama in high school and college, so I like to kind of act it out. So this is Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. This is your entertainment for tonight. This is like Bible story with Father. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Sound like Chuck Heston there. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should heed his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray, three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks which they made heretofore, you shall lay upon them. You shall by no means lessen it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. Notice, what's the original intent? Hey, let us go have a vacation. Three days, that's all we're asking. So we could go into the desert and worship, worship our God, offer sacrifice, take a little vacation. It's like driving down to Grand Isle. We want to rest. But Pharaoh says, no, you're going to work. In fact, you're going to work even harder. Of course, we know the whole story. Pharaoh is obstinate. And so they send the plagues. And finally, it ends up 
Moses takes them for a permanent Sabbath. Because originally they were going to stay there. They were going to go back and work. They just wanted to break. Pharaoh didn't want to give them three days. They ended up getting out of there completely. So what are the key points here? The key point is, most importantly, that the Sabbath, if we're connecting it to this passage here, if it's connected to Israel and the Exodus, the Sabbath is not just about rest, but it is about worship. I want you to leave your slavery to sin in order to pay worship to me, to give me glory, to give me honor, to sacrifice. As one scholar said, that actually the Sabbath is resistance to Pharaoh and to authority. No, we're not going to work. We're going to worship our God. This day belongs to him. And so throughout Jewish tradition, the practice of the Sabbath happened, but as we know, as we pass into the New Testament, the, 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 the Pharisees and scribes have made it so legalistic. It became burdensome. You couldn't lift a finger. You couldn't heal somebody. You couldn't take your ox out of the ditch. And this became a big point of contention between the Pharisees and Jesus. Many times they argued with him, you don't keep holy the Sabbath. Look at your apostles. They're picking grain and eating it. And Jesus said, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is there for us to rest, for us to worship, for us to give thanks to God for the many gifts that we've received. Ultimately, though, Pope Benedict, in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, and talking about it, says that Jesus is the Sabbath. For Christians, this whole law to fulfill the Sabbath is perfected in Jesus, because right before this passage about picking grains, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. We find rest in Jesus. We find rest in Christ, who is the Sabbath, allowing God to delight in us as we offer worship to him. And so in the early church, the Sabbath was still practiced. And this is interesting. Maybe you didn't know this. But the early church, the Jews who converted to Christianity, the Gentiles, still practiced Saturday as the Sabbath, as the day of rest. But it was the eighth day... Sunday, the day of the Lord, the resurrection day, that they would celebrate the resurrection. There are two separate days, but over time, particularly in the fourth century with the advent of Constantine, they were melded into one. The resurrection became the Sabbath. That became the Lord's day, the Dominicus. And in the life of the church, it was very, very important. And, and, you know, there are stories of Christians who are worshiping uh, on the Lord's day. And, and, and I think it was Domitian or Diocletian said, no, you can't do it. And then they said, we must. We have an obligation. We must worship. We must worship. We'd rather die than not worship. And so over time, though, as the Lord's Day became the Sabbath, 
the command was fulfilled by resting on Sunday and by offering worship by going to Mass on Sunday. It began to see as that Sunday obligation, even under the pain of mortal sin. And so today, how do we celebrate it? Well, Sunday is the Lord's Day. It is the day that we have the obligation to go to Mass, and yes, it is still an obligation. But as we saw, so few actually fulfill it. We thought it was bad before COVID. It's even worse now. Because people have no problem missing Mass. Oh yeah, I missed Mass three or four times. It's no big deal. It's like telling a white lie. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Or they say, well, I can just watch it on TV. We're going to get to that a little bit later on in the mission. It's seen so often, though, as an exterior obligation. Oh, there's the church putting more rules on us instead of something that comes from the inside. I want to be able to go and worship. I want to be able to go and rest. I want to encounter Jesus. So there's no interior motivation. Again, it was the day, on Sunday, where we all gather together as a family and go worship. But now we know the families are so fragmented, we're pulled in different directions. And of course, besides, we're all just too busy. I gotta do my shopping. I gotta bring the kids to the soccer games. All the chores we didn't do during the week, we've got to do on Sunday. So we don't go to Mass. But as I said, the real issue, now that we sort of put it into context, is a bigger problem with our inability to rest and our lack of understanding of what it means to keep the Lord's day holy. Ratzinger talks about how the Sabbath and Sunday has been replaced by the weekend. Oh, I can't wait till the weekend gets here. It's no longer, oh, I can't wait till the Sabbath gets here. We're a weekend people. I want to get away for the weekend. In addition, we, as much as we may call ourselves Christians and we pray to God, most of us are practical atheists. We don't have to rely on God like ancient cultures did for healing or for the crops to grow. And so what happens is there's no holiness in general, so Sundays are not a holy day. But some of you here, if I'm old enough to remember this, I know some of you in here are old enough to remember this. The blue laws. And now on Sunday, everything was closed. Everything was closed. I guess finally I got some people shaking their heads. Yeah, everything was closed. You couldn't do anything. But now, gradually, I think it was like the 7-Eleven that stayed open, and then now it's just like any other day. Sometimes Sunday traffic is worse than traffic on the rest of the week. It's craziness. But they're still, we're told, not just to attend Mass on Sunday, but not to do unnecessary work under the pain of sin. But we still don't do it. It's like we're, we're, we're kids in kindergarten. The teacher says, you're going to take a nap. I'm not taking a nap. I want to play. You're told to rest and you wouldn't do it. Now most people, we say, well, we don't have enough. We want to be told to rest. But even if we did, we wouldn't. There's no resting. We're like the Israelites in Exodus. And for me, this is the key seminal insight. The Lord says, hey, y'all. I want you to get away for a day every week to rest, to rejuvenate, to get your muscles strong again, to get your mind off of things, and to worship. 
I'm giving it to you. But instead of being like Moses and the Israelites saying, this is a great deal, we're like, no. I want to sit and keep working for the Pharaoh. Bring more on. I'm going to go collect my own straw. This is a lot of fun. It's a big party. I don't want the exodus. I want to stay in Egypt and be a slave to Pharaoh. We don't want to rest. We don't know how to. So my thesis is, or my theory, and again, I don't know if I can prove it or not, is that if we intend to be, I can sit here and tell people, you better go to Mass on Sunday. Well, guess what? The people who should be going to Mass on Sunday are not there on Sunday when I'm telling them to go to Mass on Sunday. Besides, they're going to resent the fact that it's an obligation. Instead, maybe if we started promoting, hey, y'all, let's actually try keeping the Sabbath holy. And not just not doing unnecessary work. That's what it's been. Now it's defined. Sabbath is I'm not doing unnecessary work. Instead of actually resting. Instead of actually allowing time for recreation. We have got to learn to rest. Because I think once we do, then quite possibly, my hope would be, the Sunday Mass obligation would fall into place. Then we might actually start saying, yeah, i got to rest, but i got to worship too. So what I want to do is for my own reading and resting to offer a few reflections and kind of practical solutions. I hope nobody in here is denying the truth of what I'm saying. Do we, can we get a head nod that we all should learn to rest more? Yes, we get a Thank you. Amen. We're the Baptist Church, boy. Begin some amens. But we're Catholics. That's how it works. So the first thing is this. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just overall statement. we got to learn to rest. we got to learn to Sabbath. First of all, it's got to be a choice. This is like an overarching comment. It is going to take work and determination in order to keep the Sabbath holy. Which is ironic, of course. I need to really work at resting. We're going to need the gift of fortitude. Not only because we're not used to it, but because we have the culture constantly telling us, hey, you shouldn't do this. So actually, sort of like in the the, the Exodus, to choose to rest, to choose to keep the Sabbath holy. And to lean into it is an act of resistance. It's tremendously countercultural. So I want to, though, give you seven very clear things that I think we can do. You could choose all seven of them. You could choose some of them to be able to enter into the rest of the Sabbath. First of all, pretty obviously, let's disconnect. We'll turn our phones off. Turn our iPads off, no email, no work. I try sometimes, I'll take the, the, the app off my phone. But on Sundays, so just put it away. Now, could you maybe watch some TV? Yeah, that's a legitimate rest. Not binge-watching binge Wednesday on Netflix is not considered that. It's not recreation. Binge-watching isn't. That's just mindless stupidity. But disconnect. You know, put your phone on silent so you're not constantly buzzing. If there are messages you have to attend to and say, I'm going to check it at noon and maybe at 6 p.m. 
it's really an emergency, people are going to find a way to find you. Number two, stay at home. If you're not staying at home, at least spend family time. The Sabbath was originally celebrated at home. You didn't travel. You didn't go out. Now, so spend that time as a family, maybe cooking a meal together, resting, taking a nap. If you want to, go to the park. But try to maybe do it as a family. But try to stay at your home base instead of running around like crazy people. Learn just to rest. Number three, cultivate real human connections. Friendship. Have real conversations. Maybe get the family members of their friends together. Let's sit around and have a couple glasses of wine and have a meal and and talk about how life is going. Enjoy each other's company. What a gift that would be particularly as we're going to see where so often real human connections are mediated now by screens and technology. We forget how to dialogue with others. Number four, this is a big one. And I know it's hard for us to do in the city, but try to have some contact with nature. As we're going to see, the, the Sabbath is intimately connected to created realities in the earth. We're going to see that tomorrow. Well, one of the things in some of the books that I read was a suggestion to try to pay attention to plants and birds. You know, so I did that the other morning. I went running in Audubon, and I said, I'm going to listen to the bird song. Now, of course, you're going to laugh at me. I didn't know what the birds were, so I used the Merlin app on my phone to find out what the birds were. But now I know what they are. But still, pay attention to this. All these plants around us. How many of us in your front yard can name all the different types of bushes, trees, and flowers. Someone can. Look at that. She's paying attention. You can too. I can't. That's a tree. That's a flower. What kind is it? I have no idea. But to pay attention to those things. I read this, this phrase, is soft fascination. I read it. Walking in nature and just be fascinated by the world around us and getting connected, getting grounded to the world around us. Go spend some time in City Park. And it doesn't matter, even though that's mediated reality, it's not real nature, it's better than nothing. Number five, spend some time playing. The best way to, to, to relax and to rest is play. I've been on a big playing kick lately, reading a lot about that. Jesus says, become like little children, enter the kingdom of heaven. What do kids like to do? They like to play. If you look at it, the traits of play are very, very similar to prayer. Have some time to go play games with your family. You want to really understand play? Here it comes. There's going to be at least one person who laughs at me here. Go to Disney Plus and watch the TV show Bluey. If you haven't watched that show, it's the best show on television. It's about parents who play with their kids. Their dogs. And it's only seven minutes long, so it's perfect if you have ADD. But it's wholesome. It's play. It's rejuvenated, at least in my sense of wonder and play. Childhood. Number six, give yourself permission to do nothing. It's a book written a few years ago by a woman named Jenny O'Dell called How to Do Nothing. She's got an axe to grind against 
certain people and certain things, so just if you can put her politics away, she's got some good stuff. How about just do nothing? Allow ourselves to be bored. When was the last time you were bored? I'm bored. I'm going to pick up my phone. I'm going I'm to read something. Daydream. Look, some of y'all may be doing that right now. You know, take some time to daydream and, and the way that the mind, these creative ideas come from. And the seventh, and this is really probably the most important, either read or write some poetry. Do some art. You know, I really, uh, again, I, 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 I say that I love poetry. Sometimes I read it too fast and don't understand what it's talking about, but the poets are able to notice and pay attention to reality and distill it in a way that speaks to the head and the heart. One of the great suggestions is, someone I'm going to quote a lot tomorrow, is the, the American philosopher, agrarian, Wendell Berry. Some people know Wendell Berry here. He has a whole collection of Sabbath poems. You may be familiar with Wendell Berry's Sabbath poems. Basically, every Sunday he goes out in the woods for a period of time and he just writes poems about what it is to Sabbath and about nature and about rest. Go paint or draw, particularly what you see in nature and the world around you. It takes up time. It's focused. Maybe do art projects as a family. If you can't paint or draw or you can't write poetry, at least read some of it. Go look at some beautiful art. Those are seven things. And those are very, very secular, not even secular, but real ways that we can rest and that we can Sabbath. But as important as that is, the most important thing is that we need to worship. And if you have one thing that you understand today, the Sabbath is not just about taking a nap, but it's about worshiping, about keeping the Lord's day holy because the Lord is holy. That's why they went into the desert. We are not defined as human beings by our work, but we are defined by our worship. The problem is, we're such workaholics that we even see prayer as work. I see this in people I direct. that they, 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 they evaluate their prayer like they evaluate leg day at the gym. Or the progress they're making at work. I gotta have progress. I gotta have results. No, that's not what prayer is about. It's not about results and productivity. It's about coming away and resting for a while. What did Jesus tell the apostles? Y'all have been busy. Come, rest for a while. Jesus is the Sabbath. So prayer and time with him should be rest. Prayer is enough saying, Lord, I've had a really long day. I just want to spend five minutes here resting. Jesus is the giving tree. Remember that? The old man at the end, just sit on the tree. Don't sit on the tabernacle or in the sanctuary. Monsignor get mad at you. But rest. Come to the church. One of the great books that I love on prayer is written by this Carmelite sister named Sister Mary McCormick. The book is called Upon This Mountain, which is beautiful reflections on prayer. Listen to what she says about prayer. Prayer is Prayer gradually becomes characterized by the ability to rest peacefully in a loving sense of God's presence without desiring anything else. Words and ideas give way to silent communion. Just resting with the Lord, not having to say anything, not doing anything. 
This is worship. This is worship. You can't give God anything he doesn't have. What God wants is to spend time with you. Spend time with us. That's amazing. Yes, we owe God something. But if you really think of it, the Lord's why is he waiting there? So that he can visit, so he can spend time with us. That's what I understand. We, we flip the way we, we look at things. Jesus wants to spend time with you. That's why there's an obligation. So if we can do this, if we can understand the desire to rest with Jesus, to worship, is connected to rest and Sabbath, then we'll see that Mass is a time where we can come away and be filled to rest, to connect with the Lord. He will fill us up. It's not what we give to Him, it's what He gives to us. A way to connect with the community, to give thanks and praise to God for the blessings. I've seen it. The people who learn how to Sabbath come and learn how to rest in prayer come to have a deep appreciation and love and desire, not just for Sunday Mass, but for Mass in general. So we can learn to do this, to really rest and to put away hurry and to worship. Things will change. We are going to find true recreation. We will be recreated recreated anew every Sunday. Balance, hopefully restored in our lives. It'll impact the way we live the rest of the week, spilling over, finding more ways to to be slow, to be drawn into the rhythm and rest of life. We'll hopefully, like the great poets, learn to pay attention. The great essays on attention was written by the French philosopher Simone Weil, which talks about like paying attention and study and its connection to prayer and how we can learn to really receive, to just keep our eyes and our hearts open to the way that God is working in our lives, to see the sacred in everyday life. Because if we're rushing too fast, we're not going to be able to do it. All of a sudden, we might find ourselves writing poetry at the end of the day, doing something beautiful like that. And it also helps us to become more aware of others. If we don't know how to rest, how are we going to be able to take care of others? Simone Weil, in her same essay, says that the ultimate question of charity is to look at another person and say, what are you going through? But if we're too rushed and we're too bothered by people, we're not going to be able to ask that question. So before we get to the conclusion, so that I can end in an hour, I just want to propose a few little dilemmas. As a priest, I get a lot of questions. People say, all right, I want to keep the Sabbath holy and not do unnecessary work, but should we shop? Should I go to the movies? Should I go out to eat? Those are good questions because ultimately they're leisure. However, and again, this is something you have to sort of make up in your own mind. One of the things about the Sabbath was not just that you rested, but that you allowed the maidservants and the people who worked in the forum to rest. So if we keep going to do these things on Sunday, there are people who depend on money. And if we continue to generate this economy where they don't get a chance to rest, are we really being just to them? Granted, there could be different ways of looking at this. Can't give you an answer, 
But we have to ask, like, how do we impact the workers? Well, you can say, well, Father, if I don't go to the movies, they don't have a job. Well, maybe if we change as a culture, then they would still get paid even if they didn't do that. Are we really giving them the chance to rest? Everyone should enjoy the Sabbath, not just the people who have the money for the leisure. Number two, this comes from being from Lafayette and being in some of those Cajun parishes. My father, I like to go hunting on the weekends. I like to go to that duck camp. I like to cook a sauce. I can't go to mass. Well, well, why can't you? Well, father, look, I'm living the Sabbath. I'm, I'm, I'm at the duck camp. I'm, 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 I'm resting. No, you're making an excuse so you don't have to go to mass. That's the reason, right? And granted, in Lafayette, we're blessed. We have 9 p.m. mass at Wisdom. Go to the 9 p.m. Mass. You better give in the collection. I just think sometimes people will make, oh, I'm going to go away on vacation. I'm going to do this or that on the weekend as a way to escape going to Mass. You can find a way to go to Mass if it's really important. What about sports with kids? Running around, dragging my kids to all these sporting events. I don't know, man. There's something about unstructured play. I don't know if I was a kid today. I want to have my parents drag me to all these things. I want to play and just have a good time. I want to rest. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this or it's evil. I'm not condemning any parents for doing it. Maybe ask the kids if they really like doing it. Is this us just forcing our own ideas of achievement on them? So anyhow, you can come up with your own ideas and your own reflections. But this is where I sort of want to start our time together. Theme of rest and returning to really living the Sabbath and keeping it holy as the Lord's day, realizing that we owe him worship, that the Sabbath was created for us, for us to be able to rest. And so finding ways to lean into that. But am I going to say that this is the only diagnosis, that all of a sudden, that if we just resolve this, then, then everything is going to be taken care of? No. And tomorrow, I want to look at another sort of aspect that I, at least I got from the thought of reading Cardinal Ratzinger about the Sabbath and, yes, its connection in Scripture to worship, but also its connection to creation, to the world, the created world of the seas and the lands and the birds and the elephants and the human person. What does the worship the cult that we offer to God, not cult like in devil cult or, you know, Jim Jones or the band The Cult. I'm talking about cult as in worship. What does it have to do with cultivation of the land? And when we lose our understanding of cultivating the land, when our existence with nature is mediated, do we lose a sense of worship of what it means to actually give back to God? sort of primitive cultures uh, tend to understand. So anyhow, something for you to reflect on and think about as we try to put together the diagnosis as we learn to rest, as we'll see as we learn to get back to the rhythms of creation of the world, hopefully returning to a greater understanding and appreciation of the gift of the Mass and the Eucharist. So hopefully see everybody tomorrow. I'll be hearing confessions from 5.30 till about 6 or before. Mass from 6 to 6.30, and then the mission talk for an hour after that. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.